Let's pray one more time. We do present ourselves to tonight, Father, to you. We say here we are to worship you. We acknowledge you're worthy of being worshipped. You're worthy of being praised. And I know we say it a lot, but it's true. We don't want to just worship you with a couple songs and, and that be the extent of the worship of our lives. We really want our whole lives to be a worship service to you. And so thank you for your word because your word is living and powerful and cuts to our heart and instructs us and encourages us. It's supernatural. And Lord, I pray that our lives would look more like Jesus because we've spent time in your word. And God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. Each one of us comes in tonight with different things in our mind and our heart. And I'm asking you, God, that you would speak to each one of us in a way where we could leave tonight saying, I met with the Lord. We're not here to be academic or just be religious or something. We want to encounter you in a fresh way. And so, Lord, give us attentive hearts and minds to your word and discernment. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're in chapter 24 and... The goal tonight um, is to finish chapter 24. We're going to pick it up in verse 12 and then possibly dip our big toe into, into chapter 25. And, and I'm hesitant because it seems like the last couple weeks I've had these grandiose goals like we're going to do two and a half chapters and I don't even get halfway in. So I'm setting small goals tonight. We're at least going to finish chapter 24. How's that? Um, and then we'll see about chapter 25, which kind of opens up a whole new... Uh, section in the book of Exodus. Up to this point, guys, here's what's happened. Something very significant has happened in the life of Israel. Um, where we're picking up the story tonight, Moses has just come down off of Mount Sinai. The, the children of Israel, all two and a half, three million of them are encamped around Mount Sinai at the base. Moses has been up on the hill. They've heard the Ten Commandments, but now he's come down with what's called the Book of the Covenant, which is kind of the elaboration of the Ten Commandments, and we spent the last several chapters looking at what those are. And if you remember, in chapter 24, when Moses came down off the hill, he kind of verbally told the crew what God had said on the mountain, and their response was, "Woohoo! heck yes, we will totally obey. And then he goes back and he writes it down in the Book of the Covenant. And again, reads it to the people, and the response again was, "Woohoo! yeah, we'll obey. And at that point, animals were slaughtered, sacrifices were made, blood was sprinkled on the altar, and blood was sprinkled on the people. And what that was, was the legal inauguration, if you would, of the covenant. At this point, this is a super significant point, a point that actually is referred to in the book of Hebrews, where when the author of Hebrews is talking about how the Old Covenant was inaugurated in there in chapter 9, by the way. It was inaugurated with the shedding of blood. The point is, is at this moment, we're talking this is the Old Covenant now. God and the children of Israel are in covenant with one another at this point. And kind of to, to fully ratify that, the elders, 70 of the elders, um, Moses, Aaron, and his boys, uh, Nadab and Abihu, have gone up again a little higher on the mountain and they have kind of a, seen the Lord and they're actually eating and drinking 
And the idea is, is they're having this covenant meal with God, celebrating the inauguration of this covenant, sealing this covenant. It's a very, the point I'm just trying to make right now, this is a very significant point in their history. And so what's going to happen now is this scene is kind of coming to a close. What we'll see tonight is God is going to call Moses back up to the mountain. That's what we're going to read tonight. And this is the time where Moses will receive the, the Ten Commandments written in stone by the very finger of God. This is where Moses will also receive um, the blueprints or the pattern, if you would. I, I just say blueprints. He didn't actually get blueprints, but the idea is he'll get the instructions and the pattern for what's known as the tabernacle. And we'll talk all about that, trust me, in weeks to come because it gets a lot of ink in the book of Exodus. But he's going to be up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's miraculous because he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. He's just in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. So that's, you've probably heard about that time, and so that's what's about to happen. So let's look at that and um, this is a section that God really spoke to my heart on. I don't know how well I'll communicate it tonight, but it's been a pretty fun week just kind of looking at this couple of paragraphs here at the end of chapter 24. So let's look at two chunks, verses 12 through 14 and then four, uh, 15 through 18. So look at the first one, verse 12. The Lord uh, said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I might give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I've written on their, uh, for their instruction. Verse 13, so Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua. And Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur, they're with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So quick summary of what I just read, not not that I have to rehash it, I guess. You're smart people. But God speaks to, to Moses, says, come back up onto the mountain. And so two things I just want to point out as side points and then get to the main point. I like this tucked into this little paragraph. There's actually some great leadership models by Moses. So here's the thing. Moses is called to go up and meet with God. And what does he do? He takes Joshua with him. He takes Joshua with him. Now, Joshua, we've already been introduced to Joshua. Joshua was Moses' assistant. And Joshua is just with Moses all the time. And I like this. It's great leadership. Moses says, I've been called to go up. Josh, why don't you come with me? And he takes a young guy and says, come with me. You know what that's called? Discipleship. That's just discipleship. That's what Jesus did. He took guys with him. That's what Paul did. He took a young Timothy. He took Silas. He took guys with him and exposed them to the things of the Lord and said, hey, I'm going to go spend time with God. Why don't you come with me? And I don't really want to encourage us because we've actually been called part of the Great Commission. We always think about it in evangelical terms, which is fine. But the actual Great Commission that Jesus gave to us was to go and make what? Disciples. To disciple the nations is exactly what it says. And so that's not a job that's just set apart for pastors or quote-unquote missionaries or super spiritual people. That's actually your, your, your calling and my calling at some level. Maybe you're doing that in the home as a dad or as a mom or whatever, but, but we are called, I believe, to just 
take people with us. It's, 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 it doesn't have to be fancy or a program sometimes. Sometimes it's just as easy as the Lord puts a, a young man on your heart if you're a man or a young woman on your heart if you're a woman, and you just say, hey, let's go grab a coffee. Let's go talk. I'm going to go serve over here. Why don't you come with me? Let's pray. You want to come to prayer with me? And you just start bringing them with you and bringing them along. You know what I love about this? Joshua gets this lesson. Later on, when the tabernacle is built and there's the tent of meeting, which is actually a different tent, Moses would go in and just commune with God. It's real special. It would be like him just talking to God. And it says that Joshua would go with him, and when Moses would leave, Joshua would just stay in there. Joshua learned this great habit of Moses, and that was to just go be alone with God. Who are you discipling right now? Because people are watching your life. You have, you have some sphere of influence right now, wherever you're at in life. Can I encourage you that you would be intentional about that? I dare you to just say, Lord, who can I pour into? Who can I bring along with me to, to just help them in their walk with the Lord? Amen? Another thing that he does is not only brings Joshua with him, and Joshua, by the way, if you don't know this, he's actually the one. He's going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, not Moses. So, and then the second thing, quickly, I see, I love this, is that Moses delegates. I confess as a person that's kind of, for, in some level in my life, some degree in my life, been put in some kind of leadership. This is a hard one for me. I'm not good at this one. But Moses delegates authority. That's a great leadership quality. He says, look, I'm not going to leave the flock unattended. I'm going to put you in charge. And he's just, he's showing good leadership skills here. And who does he put in charge? His bro, Aaron, and this guy named Her. I know it's confusing, but it's a guy named Her. Anyways, now, by the way, it'll prove to be kind of a bummer because Aaron is going to make the, like, biggest mistake ever. But that's chapter, like, 32. We'll wait till we get there. These are maybe not big points. Just, I, I like to draw little things out like that. But guys, here's the, here's the sentence that's just been blowing my mind. It's verse 12, and maybe it's definitely the concept, but even just the way it's phrased, I love this. Look at verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I might give you the tables or the tablets of stone. God invites Moses up to the mountain and says, Come up, and just listen to the way it's phrased, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I might give dot, dot, dot. So in one aspect, obviously this is very specific to Moses. This was Moses going to meet with God in a very unique, you know, not repeated way to get the Ten Commandments. So this is a very unique, obviously, one-off thing. But on the other hand, this is always the invitation of God all the time, isn't it? Come away, come up to the mountain, come apart, come and be with me. And then I love this. Why? Because he wanted to impart something to Moses. Now, he's not going to give us Ten Commandments, but maybe he wants to write something on the tables of our heart. To me, this is such a beautiful key of hearing from the Lord, receiving from the Lord. The invitation from God is going out all the time. Come apart with me. Let's go to the mountain. Let's go to the hillside. Let's go get away. Jesus would say, come apart, guys, for a while. Let's go across the lake and just be alone for a while. 
Jesus would leave the guys and go up onto the mountain and just be with his father. He would get up early and go pray. So guys, this is just God's invitation. Come to me. Come up. Come apart. Come and be with me because I want to impart some things to you. I want to give some things to you. Are you tracking with me on this? See, I believe this invitation is for you tonight. It's for me tonight. Do you have a mountain that you can go away and be with God? Where's your mountain? Where's your quiet place where you can quiet your heart and have a quiet time? I don't know. Do people use that term anymore? We used to use it all the time when I was like in high school and stuff. Like, that, you know, the time you would get up and spend with the Lord, we call it our quiet time. Does anybody use that term anymore? It's not as prevalent. It used to be like my kids would be like, what are you doing? Doing my quiet time. Why? Because we try to instill in them, hey, this is important. You have to have quiet time with God if you're going to grow, if you're going to hear from him, if you're going to receive from him. Amen? Let me just ask you, this is rhetorical, don't blurt it out. Do you have a mountain that you go to? Now, we all can't climb a mountain and literally get up away from people on a mountain, but, you know, mountains can look different. It could just be any place. I, I've got mountains that I go to on this island. They're not real mountains, but they're just roads that nobody drives on that I just walk and go pray and spend time with the Lord or getting up early before the kids get up. Anybody parents of young kids in here? One? Two, okay, so this is maybe not for everybody, but when you have parents of, when you're a parent of a little kid, it's hard to find a quiet time to be alone. How many of you guys have raised kids? Yeah. How hard was it to find a quiet time and a quiet, I mean, it's great in theory, but when you've got a two-year-old, like, like JJ this morning, I'm like, I got up early this morning, and the Lord had just woken up. It was so early, and all of a sudden, I hear from the other room, where's daddy? I'm like, <laughs> no, you know, I just got one sip of coffee, just opened my Bible. I'm going to go find daddy. Where's daddy? Daddy, 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 daddy. Why can't you just hang out with mommy? But he does all day long. And so I, I know it's hard sometimes to find that quiet time. You're not going to accidentally find a mountain. It's got to be intentional. You're going to have to take, it's going to take energy. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take time. It's going to take some kind of sacrifice oftentimes, expending of energy or getting up early or going to bed early or something to where you just have to carve out some time. I was tripping out again at the story of um, Suzanne uh, Wesley, Charles Wesley and um, John Wesley's mom. Do you, anybody know John Wesley, Charles Wesley? They were evan evangelists. They were instrumental in starting the Methodist movement. Um, they were, they changed the, landscape of Christianity in America. They were absolutely um, phenomenal. Wrote thousands of hymns, not the least of which would be Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I mean, they've had so much influence on this country, you would, I mean, it's hard to describe. But the real influence was their mom. See, they had eight brothers and sisters, John and, and Charles, or, yeah, John and Charles, had eight other brothers and sisters. She was raising ten kids. She actually gave birth to 19 Nine died. And she ran a household with ten children. And the, the, the story of her life is that she was like regimented, man. She was just like, there was a time frame for everything. She scheduled two hours a day to do nothing but pray and read her Bible while raising ten kids. So this is how she would do it. She would sit down, grab her Bible, and pull her apron up over her head and create a little tent. <laughs> 
And all of her kids knew if mom's got the apron over her head, do not talk to mom because she will come out of the spirit in a hurry probably. Didn't, I don't know. I never read that part. And maybe we're not going to live up to her great example, but you know what? Find a mountain where you can go and be alone and wait and get away from the 70, if you would, the crowd. And quiet your mind, quiet your heart. I never hear from God, you might say. When's the last time you climbed the mountain? When's the last time you just intentionally did nothing but get away with God? Secondly, about that verse that I love is that it says, Come up to me to the mountain and wait there. How many of you guys have a version of the Bible that just says, come up to the mountain and be there? Yeah, it can be translated wait. It can be translated be. Either one, I guess, linguistically works. But I like both of them. I like both of those translations. Because oftentimes when you're needing to hear from God, you need an answer. You want an answer. You're, you're seeking God. You're, getting, you're going to your mountain or whatever. And you know what he says? Come up there and wait. How many of you guys love waiting? That's it. Come on, Tay. There's always one. None of us really like waiting. How many of you guys have ever, honestly, you've been in a situation that's pressing? Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relationship-wise. There's some answer from God that you need, and it's so pressing. And you're just like, God, I need an answer for this now. And you felt like God's just holding back, and he's not giving you an answer. Have you ever felt like that? And, and, and he's calling you to wait on him. We don't do well with waiting. We are an instant society on everything. You know this, I know this. How many of you guys are like my wife and I will be watching TV and somebody will say something on TV and I'll just watch her grab her phone. I'm like, she's Googling right now because she wants to know what the, I want to know right now what that guy meant by that. What does that word mean? And, you know, Google this, Google that. We're like instant information, instant everything. But you know what? Sometimes God wants to just have us come into his presence and guess what? Just Wait. Wait. Just be quiet and wait. One of my favorite verses, you'll hear me say this a lot. This is Isaiah 64, 4 says this. Listen, from old, no one has heard nor ear perceived. No eye has seen a God like you who acts for those who wait on him. How long was Moses on the mountain this time? How long is he going to be up on the mountain? 40 days and 40 nights. Do you really think it took God 40 days and 40 nights to carve out the Ten Commandments on stone or to give the tabernacle instructions? Did he just need every minute of that 40, 40 days and 40 nights? Yes or no? No. God could have done that in a moment. But the emphasis here is God is saying it's not so much about you getting what you need in the moment or, or being efficient with the time. It's more about what's important here is the time we are together. It's more about being than getting waiting waiting so often breaks us down to the place where like okay god i thought i was coming to you because of this urgent need but clearly you just wanted us to spend time together amen it's good to wait on the lord it's hard to wait on the lord but i also like the other translation where it says come up to the mountain and be with me and or just be there and, and i like that because um that's exactly what it means. Just be. Be engaged. Be there. Just be there. Wait there like you're waiting time-wise, but also while you're waiting, be. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Have you guys ever, like, been there but not been there? Have you ever um, heard your wife say these, these words to you guys? Where are you? 
or husband, have you ever said that to your wife? I mean, you're both sitting on the couch, and you're both in this, the room, and you're, you're home, but the wife looks over and goes, where are you right now? Because you may be there physically, but your mind is a thousand miles away. You're at work. You're in the lineup. You're somewhere else. You're pulling in an ahi. You're doing something, but you're not home. You're not there there. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I wonder if sometimes God doesn't look at us when we come to church, when we get to our quiet time. How many of you guys know you can come to church, you can go to your mountain, you can have your quiet time, you can physically be there, but you're not really there? How many of you guys have felt that? Your mind's a thousand miles away. You're thinking about other things. And I love this encouragement. He says, come up to mountain to me and just, can you just be there? I wonder sometimes if the Lord wouldn't ask sometimes, Jason, where are you right now? Uh, church. I'm at church. No, like where are you? Because you're physically here, but where are you at? Tune in. Guys, this is such a great, I think this is so practical. Here's, a, here's some keys, I think, to in that waiting time or, whether, or the worship time or when you're at church, how to really receive from the Lord, how to hear from God. A lot of it has to do with just being where you are. Be in the moment. Be there with the Lord. You know, when worship's happening, worship. Be there. Engage in worship. Start to sing. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm singing, but I'm just thinking about work. Stop thinking about work and sing. Sing to the Lord. Talk to God. During the prayer time, pray. You know, we have a prayer time on Saturday nights, and I, I've done a lot of prayer meetings over the years, and it's so easy, especially like in a public prayer meeting where you're praying and somebody else is praying, and you're just like kind of waiting for them to finish so you can pray or you're thinking about something else while they're praying. Man, while they're praying, you pray too, maybe under your breath. Agree with them. Yes, Lord. But you don't let your mind slip away. Does that make sense? When somebody's up here praying, you know, over the service or whatever, engage. I believe that if you're around me very much at all, you're going to hear me say stuff like, yes, Lord, uh-huh, yeah. It's not because I have some, like, Pentecostal background, which I, I do have a little bit of that in, back in the, the day, but, but you know what? It's more for me to engage. Like, I'm agreeing with you. Mm-hmm, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, I agree. Yes, Father. And I'm just, I want to be involved in the prayer. I want to be engaged. Amen. If it's giving time, give. If it's singing time, sing. If it's worship time, worship. If it's serving time, serve. But guys, so often we're there, but we're not there. And we have to fight to keep our minds from wandering a million miles away. Amen? I want to encourage you guys. I want to admonish you guys in this. When you are on the mountain, when you are at church, when you are here, don't be checking Twitter. Don't be texting. Don't, like, put those things aside. And I'm guilty of doing that once in a while, too. Usually when, when Steve's teaching, but I'm um, just kidding. But, but resist that, like, be with the Lord. That's, that's I love technology. <laughs> Almost saying that song from Napoleon Dynamite just then, but, um, sorry, missed, missed reference. Um, I read my Bible on my phone a lot in the morning. I love it because, you know, it can be dark and you can have your phone on and, you know, you, you can just sit there in the dark and read it. But I hope you have a Bible because, you know what, sometimes it's, it, when you're reading your phone for your Bible, guess what happens? Notifications, pop-ups, Dodger scores, WSL, da-da-da, text, this, that. And it's so easy to, like, be in the moment. Bloop, 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 bloop. Dude, I hope, you guys, I hope you guys have an actual Bible 
There's nothing more spiritual about this than a phone, but it's just less likely to be interrupted. That's my point on that, where you can just be alone with God. Okay, I've nailed that point down, triple nailed it, stomped on it. You get it. You get the point. He says, Moses, I'm calling you up to just spend time with me. I want you to be there. I want you to wait for me. Do you need to hear from the Lord on something? Find a time this week to go to the mountain, wait for him, and be there with him. Amen? All right, let's move on. Verse 15. And Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on the Mount of Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And we know from other places, chapter 34, Deuteronomy, that it says that he was there with no food, no water, laying prostrate on his face before God for 40 days and 40 nights. Crazy. This is amazing. So, he grabs Joshua, they, they break apart from the rest of the crew, they go up a little higher, and it says the glory of the Lord came on that mountain. Notice this, three different times it talks about the glory of the Lord in the form of a cloud. Did you guys catch that? This cloud, we've seen that before. Remember like when, when the glory first came upon Mount Sinai, it was like in a cloud. When he led them through the wilderness, it was a pillar of a cloud. You know, the word glory is really interesting, by the way that de describes the presence of God. The word glory in the Hebrew um, carries the idea of heaviness and weight. So the idea is this cloud is like this heavy, the weighty, something tangible, physical presence of God in a cloud form enveloped this whole mountain. And it's there and he's going into that and he's got Joshua and they're there for six days. And then God calls him to leave Josh there and go even higher. And that's when he goes up and he's with the Lord for 40 days and for 40 nights. So a couple things that just want to point out um, is the, the glory of the Lord was likened unto two things, a cloud and fire. Do you guys notice that? Cloud and fire, cloud and fire. From Evidently from the base of the mountain, from the rest of the people, they're looking up and they're seeing the cloud, but what else they're seeing is it says that the glory of the Lord appeared to them like a devouring fire. Other translations say a consuming fire. And I, I just love this. God's presence is likened to this thick, heavy cloud and an all-consuming fire. You're going to see this you know, later on um, when they dedicate the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord comes down on the tabernacle so heavy they can't even go into the tabernacle. Later on, they dedicate the temple. Same thing. The glory of God comes in that place. The priest can't even serve. They fall on their face. The fire of God. The, and so just... The awesome presence and glory of God. And Moses gets to go right up into it. What really got me, guys, and this is where I've been wrestling with how to share this. I just want to share it, but I, I can't duplicate what the Lord's been doing in my own heart. So I'm just going to share it and we'll pray about it. But I'm so intrigued by that description of God's glory. Listen, God is described as an all consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, our God is an all-consuming fire. 
It, doesn't, it says it's like an all-consuming fire. He doesn't say it is an all-consuming fire. He's trying to find ways to relate it and what it's like. And that's just an awesome thing to me. You guys ever been around a big bonfire? You ever been around a big fire? Any firefighters ever been around a, a big fire? It's, it's crazy. I wasn't around these fires, but you guys remember the fires in California last year? It was devastating. I actually looked up some um, statistics on this. Last year in California, and we all saw like video clips, news clips of those, um, those crazy fires. There was 8,527 fires total. There was 1,893,913 acres consumed by those fires. little fun fact, there was $12 billion in insurance claims. And then tragically, 97 civilians and six firefighters died. I recently saw on the news, maybe you guys saw this, there was a guy who had a Toyota, I think it was a Tundra or Tacoma, one of those Toyota trucks, and he was living somewhere where the fires were going off there in California, and he's like driving his truck and like rescuing people and like driving all these roads. Well, the side of his truck just got melted, just like charred. And so Toyota like gave him a truck with like a custom paint job that looked like a charred side of his truck. Did you guys see that? But it's like done on purpose. And it was just like this, like, hey, you're a hero. Thanks for doing that. We're going to give you a, another truck that looks charred. I would have been like, can you just give me one that actually has a good paint job? That would be great. And I'm sure he was thankful. Why did that truck get charred? Because it got really close to a very hot fire. This is the thing that's just amazing to me. God is likened to an all-consuming fire. When you get close to a fire, when you get anywhere near a big fire, I mean, you cannot approach a fire without it absolutely affecting you. Does that make sense? Those forest fires, they consume, they literally just devour anything in their path. Homes, trees, it doesn't matter. They just, they just consume anything in their path. And God is likened to this awesome, amazing, all-consuming fire. And in the physical realm, it speaks of destruction and, and, and just ripping, you know, just to ashes, right? But here's Moses going up into the very presence of God, this all-consuming fire, and he's sustained. He's not burned up. But listen, I want to tell you, I believe he was consumed because God is an all-consuming fire. Just, just like you can't go close to a bonfire or a house fire or a forest fire and not get burned or affect you, spiritually speaking, you cannot go into the presence of God without it changing you, without it affecting you. I heard somebody say it this way this week, this last week, that fire is the evidence of a transitionary event. I thought that was an interesting way of thinking about it. Fire is the physical, obvious evidence of a transitionary event. In other words, whatever's on fire is changing from the form that it's in now to the form of fire. And it's going to end up to be ashes. Because when that fire touches it, whatever it's touching becomes fire too. Does that make sense? This is actually a really simple point that I'm making really complicated. If you touch fire, you get burned. You eventually catch on fire too. And my point is that's exactly, exactly what we need. We need to be on fire. 
What do we call people that all they can do is talk about Jesus and all they can do is they want to worship Jesus and all they want to do is pray and they're just overflowing with the love of Jesus. What do we say about those people? Those, that guy is on fire. Why is he on fire? Because he came in contact with the all-consuming fire, God. And he's been consumed by God. And stuff that was bad has been burned away and he's been lit up on fire himself and what God has put onto him something of God himself and there's a transformation taking place and he's different because you can't come into the presence of God and stay the same. I guess what I'm really going with this and what I'm, I'm like teary-eyed about it because this is what I want so bad. To be on fire fully consumed by God. And here's the thing, you can't fake this. You can't fake being on fire for God. But you can tell when someone's been in the presence of God. Amen? They took note of them that day, their boldness, their uneducated, unlearned people, but they took knowledge that they had been, what? With Jesus, speaking of the apostles. Who are these guys? When the Holy Spirit came on the church in Acts chapter 2, it was the fulfillment of what Jesus said when he said, what, actually what John the Baptist said when John the Baptist says, look, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's coming one that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. And when the Lord, by the power, when the Holy Spirit, excuse me, came upon the early church there in the upper room, there was literally visible tongues of fire above their head. Now, I don't expect God to do that necessarily again. That was, again, a very special moment. But they could see literal tongues of fire above each other's heads, and they were on fire. And Peter stepped out onto that balcony area near the, the, the Temple Mount, and this guy that a couple days earlier was telling a little servant girl, taking an oath, I swear to God, I don't even know who Jesus is. I'll be damned to hell if I know who that guy is. Cock-a-doodle-doo. And now he stands up in front of the very crowd that condemned Jesus, the very soldiers that arrested Jesus, in the very place not far from where Jesus himself was crucified. And he basically lays out the gospel and says, you killed the Lord of glory. And, you, and he gives the gospel fearlessly because he was on fire. He had come in contact, if you would, with God. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. And there was something different about him. You can't fake that. You can't coach that. You can't teach that necessarily. But what my heart is, is I want to be a man that's consumed with God. I want to be on fire. Not a fake emotional, just like, you know, religious. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something genuine, something real, where something of God has touched my life. And not just one off. I want to live in that place. And where this is really on my heart is I'm looking around at young men and young women and I want you guys to experience the fire of God in your life. And I want to see a church where we don't just come to church. Did you know that God did not save you from hell to go to church once or twice a week? This is not the end game. 
is to have a life that's so fully and radically transformed by his presence and his Holy Spirit and his power that we are different. And I'm not talking fake or, or just, I'm not making a, an ex, uh, a case for emotionalism or anything like that. I'm talking a genuine fire of God in our lives because we've been transformed, we've been touched by him. And we come to church not because we got to fulfill some obligation, but we just want to go be in where God's getting worshipped and where the word of God is going out so we can get out of the church and go back into a world that's dying and going to hell, but with the fire of God on us. Amen? And I'm praying, I'm praying for me, and I'm praying for my kids, and I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for your kids, and I'm praying for our church, and I'm praying for this island, that we would be those who truly, truly, truly have a fresh Pentecost in our lives when the fire of God comes upon our lives again. And then burn away just the chaff and the temporal things that we live for and we would just say, I want to be all consumed with God. Amen? I told you I wasn't, I'm sorry if this isn't coming across real smooth, but I'm really kind of just sharing from my heart and I don't really know how to share it real eloquently. It's just my desire for my life and for your life and for this church and for the island. Amen? I want to just ask, yeah, praise the Lord, but I want to just ask, can we just go to the mountain for a minute? Can we just worship a little bit? And maybe just wait on him? No expectation. Maybe, maybe he fills you with this Holy Spirit. Maybe he speaks to you. Maybe not, but, but can we at least just wait on him a little bit and just not rush out of here and just sit at his feet? and worship him, and tell him he's holy, and awesome, and maybe repent of things we need to repent of, and just maybe if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you tonight, maybe you're like, I want that. I don't even know what that is necessarily, but I want that. I want a life that's for real for God, not just religious or church-goy. I want the fire of God in a sense. Consume me, God. Maybe come down while we're worshiping and lay out on the altar. You know, there's nothing holier about this part of the carpet than that part of the carpet. But sometimes getting up out of your seat and just as an act of faith and maybe bowing down on your face and humbling yourself, those little things sometimes engage our heart and are a point of faith, a point of contact with God, or maybe just right where you're sitting. But let's just have some time with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.